The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Hey, hi everybody. My name is Mark. I'm one of the uh, elders here, and it's it's been a minute since uh, I've been here at Missio. Um, so glad to be here. Um, last week I was preaching at Coram Deo in Morganton, one of our uh, sister churches and a, a plant that we help out. Uh, the two weeks prior to that, I was involved with the Tanzania trip. So thank you for for praying for that. Um, next week. Brian will be back in the saddle. So uh, he's been on uh, sabbatical, um, in case you were wondering, and uh, well-deserved. And um, it's been a little interrupted. I mean, there was the Tanzania trip in between, uh, which is not a vacation. Although we did vacation-y kinds of things a couple times. But, uh, you know, it was generally just a great trip of seeing what what God is doing. And I'll just tell you, a brief story, but first, I want to thank Matt and Anthony for that music today. Wasn't that great? Um, so, and you probably caught that Anthony was singing harmony, and so in between services, and even before the first service, people were telling Matt, oh, I just love the harmony, I love the harmony, and Matt's like, yeah, okay, thanks, what about the melody, you know, and uh, <laughs> so... Anyway, um, it's good to have that, good to have Matt here uh, with us. But uh, yeah, in Tanzania, uh, a couple weeks ago um, on Saturday, um, it was one of our first big days there at, in country, and we went to a compassion center, and a lot of you have uh, sponsored children through Compassion International. We have kids in two different centers there in Matwara, and um, I, as well as several other people on our team, got to meet the children we have sponsored. And so, um, Talik has been a a face on my refrigerator for almost four years. And now he's in my heart. And uh, I got to meet him and his mom and uh, his brother. And it it was just really, um, really touching. They asked if I wanted to go see their house which I said, of course. So we walked a little ways to their house. I had an interpreter with me. And um, then she said, would you like to see the house we're building? And I'm like, yeah. And so they walked us over and they have laid a foundation. They've got the concrete blocks um, set up on the foundation of like a seven-room house. And I said, Talik, which of these rooms is going to be yours? And he pointed to one, and it was in the front of the house. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty bold. But uh, she said, uh, his mom said, this is what we're buying with the extra money you send. And I was just blown away because it's, it's really the money we've sent. It's not like we've sent you know, tens of thousands of dollars. It's, it's just been here and there a little bit. Not much to us, but God has been able to multiply that. And we heard that from several of our people, you know, that this chicken coop or these goats have been purchased with, with the money you send. And uh, it's, it's just really amazing. So the next day um, they came, uh, we, we went to church there. And after church, uh, Talik's mom and Talik, and then I met his grandma too. Um, 
they came and they gave me a rug, like a five foot by six foot woven rug. It's like, how in the world am I going to get this home? Um, and I mean, I just folded it and finally got it in my suitcase. They gave me a couple of bowls, uh, ceramic bowls that they use for cooking, and a live chicken. <laughs> and really, three of us that day were given live chickens. And I'm glad nobody could understand me in English because I, I turned to one of our guides and I said, what do I do with this chicken? <laughs> so actually, uh, we gave it to, to like our host person there and I don't know what he did with them. We didn't have time to, to cook them and so on. Uh, but yeah, we got, the, we got a chicken. So that was great. Um, but yeah, it was a good time. God's doing some great things across the world. Uh, among people that have no idea that there's a war in Ukraine, that there's runaway inflation, they're just, they're just living life. And God's doing some great things. He's saving people. He's saving people out of Islam. He's saving... Uh, last Sunday after we left in one of the churches, uh, God saved a witch doctor. And we have pictures of her burning her stuff. It's just... It's incredible. The, the church of God, the kingdom of God is advancing despite what it may feel like here in the United States. So praise God. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, let's turn in our book, uh, the book of Proverbs. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs today, chapter six. Uh, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do. If not, there's one in the seat, uh, seat in front of you. You're welcome to take those. If you need a Bible, um, if you need a good Bible, you can consult the lost and found. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're all good Bibles. It's the Word of God. So we're in the book of Proverbs and have been. And let's just remind ourselves what the book of Proverbs is. It's a collection of sayings, uh, kind of loosely organized, if you even want to call it that. It's part of the Bible's wisdom literature. And Really, in the big picture, it's not just how you should behave or how we should act. It's a picture of how life is really meant to work and how it's a model of reality for us, all centered around what we might call the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God, as we'll see um, toward the end today, really points us to Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God, who not only was wise, is wise, but he is the wisdom of God, we'll see. So uh, I want to look at um, chapter 6, verses 16 to 19 today, and we're going to talk about pride. Pride, that great sin. All right, verse 16, I'll, I'll read this short passage, and then we'll pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll dive in. Starting in verse 16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that, sh that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows, sows discord among brothers." This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your, 
your grace and kindness to us in revealing your word. And now, O Lord, as we dive in, as we seek to study your word, we ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So pride. Pride is one of those those things um, that... It's not always easy to define, but it's something that's immediately recognizable when we see it. And as we're going to see, pride can be displayed in a number of ways. So we'll talk about that a little bit. But the first point I wish to make, if you're taking notes, is that pride is sin which God hates. Sin which God hates. This, this passage begins saying there are six things the Lord hates Seven that are an abomination to him. Now, this structure, six or set, you know, six and then seven, uh, shows up several times in the book of Proverbs. Sometimes it's there are three things and then four. And this is just a construct to indicate that whatever we're listing here is not an exhaustive list. But for the sake of, of this paragraph, the writer is only enumerating seven of them. And it's pointing toward actually the last in the list, that all of that is culminating down to the last of the list, which is one who sows discord among brothers. But this list begins with pride. The first thing in the list he talks about is haughty eyes. Now, haughtiness is is an attitude. It's a prideful attitude that looks down on people. It looks down in superiority. It's an arrogance. It's an I've got it all together. It's patronizing. It's assuming that everyone else is below me. And that's a, that's a prideful thing. And what we want to see in this first point is that's sin. We don't often think of things like that, those attitudes, as sin. Jerry Bridges was a a prolific Christian writer, uh, passed away um, at a good old age just a few years ago. Um, He worked a a great deal in the Navigators, which is a a disciple-making organization. Um, Oftentimes on college campuses, they write a lot of material. He's written a number of books. I recommend anything that Jerry Bridges writes because he brings the gospel to bear on, on everything he writes. Well... One book that he wrote is called Respectable Sins. Kind of an interesting title. But pride is one of the respectable sins that he talks about. And if you think about it, we don't think about some of these sins in the same way as we think about other, one, other sins. Pride is not going to result in church discipline for a believer. Pride is not going to get a pastor fired. Pride is something you could bring to your community group and say, hey, I've been really struggling with pride, and we'll all embrace you and pray for you and and hold you up. But if you come forward with one of those other sins, uh uh-oh, like, I committed adultery. Okay, that can get you fired. That can, 
that can cause us to turn our backs. And the issue is not so much the fact that we're taking that sin seriously. The, the issue is that we don't take those respectable sins seriously. And pride is one of those. Proverbs 21.4 says, Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. This idea of being the lamp of the wicked is just an expression that means uh, their essential life. And what that's saying is that for the wicked, their essential life is found in the, in the hope of things of which they're proud. And so it's at the very heart of, of, of their wickedness, the pride that they, that they hold. So the first thing we want to see here today is that pride, though it's something that we often don't think about in our lives and wrestle with, it is a sin, it's serious, and we need God's grace to cover it. And we need God's help through the Holy Spirit to overcome it. So the first thing I would, I would just ask you to think about today is, am I harboring pride in any measure, and do I just kind of let it go and don't think about that very often? So pride is sin, which God hates. The second point that we want to see is that pride is manifested in many forms. Manifested in many forms. Now I'm going to talk about three things, three, three ways that pride just kind of shows itself. So our, our second main point is manifested in many forms. Now as we go through these other verses on the list... We see seven things here. One is, is a sin of attitude. That's the haughtiness that we, that we mention. There's another one that's a sin of thought. In verse 18a, it's a heart that devises or plans wickedness. There are two related to speech. 17, uh, 17b is a lying tongue. And... 19a talks about a false witness who breathes out lies. One is kind of unofficial, lying tongue. One is um, official, a false witness. There are two sins of action here. In 17, hands that shed innocent blood. And then 18 uh, talks about feet that, that make haste to run to evil. And finally, there's one uh, sin here of influence, where someone in verse 19 sows discord among brothers. So that's where the list ends, the discord, the disunity among brothers. And the last, it, as the last in this list, it's kind of the focus. But all these other ones go together and contribute to that. And the point we want to make here is that pride ruins relationships. You cannot thrive in a relationship when pride is, is there. There's a superiority, a snobbishness, a contempt. It's the idea that I'm bringing something to this relationship more than you are. Can that ever work? If you ever, in your marriage, get to that point where you're saying, well, I'm contributing more to this marriage than you are, well, then we've got a problem. 
And maybe the one who's contributing less is actually contributing less, and that's a problem, but maybe there's pride on the other side. Proverbs 13.10 says, Where there is strife, there is pride. But with those who take advice is wisdom. So the first thing we want to see about what, what pride does, the way pride shows itself, is that it ruins relationships. The second thing we want to talk about in, in terms of how pride is manifested is talking about the pride of achievement and independence. And this is probably what comes to mind first and foremost when we, when we mention pride. It's someone who's boasting and, and uh, arrogant and proud about their accomplishments. Now, let me say this. It's normal to feel good about the things you do well. That's, that's normal. It's natural. Succeeding, winning, accomplishing things, being recognized for the things that we do well, these are all things that we desire and we thrive under these things. In fact, um, in the last 10 years of my career, if I could sum up just kind of the mentality of my, of my work life, it has been centered around this idea of, of strength-based work. There's all kinds of assessments out there that, that, and, and studies have been done that show that if we work in things that we are good at, that we feel comfortable with, that we can have some success, if we can work within our strengths, we feel a greater sense of contentment we feel a greater sense of satisfaction. We stay in that job longer. It doesn't even feel like work because we're, we're working in the way that God has wired us. And, and consequently, we're more productive. And this is a good, a good path to follow. This is a good wisdom to follow that we, that we work within our strengths. And there's a, this feeling of satisfaction, a feeling that... I'm doing what God made me to do. This is wholesome. But when you're good at what you do and people tell you that, be careful because pride is lurking. Pride is right there ready to, to swoop in. Being talented and sometimes even being better than others at what you do, being the best at what you do, no one's saying don't be the best, you know, don't, don't be good at what you do. That's not the answer. But when you are good, when you have talent, just recognize that that's a minefield that's difficult to maneuver. Because at any point, that could turn to pride inside your heart. That can turn to this, this idea that I'm doing this myself. It's a neglect of, of God. It's, a, it's a, actually a spirit of independence that I'm accomplishing all this with my ability and my strength. Look what I have accomplished so we have to be very careful. 
So how do we counter that? How do we navigate that minefield of being in the public, being on display, being good at what we do, receiving compliments, receiving pats on the back, and all kinds of things like that? How do we keep that from devolving into a sinful pride? Well, it's to be aware that everything we have and everything we've done comes from the hand of God. It's a God-facing. It's a God-centeredness. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the early parts, Paul is, is addressing the Corinthian church because they had gotten into a divisive, prideful mode. Some of them were saying, well, I belong to Apollos. And others were saying, well, I belong to Paul. And some of the super spiritual ones were saying, well, I belong to Jesus. And Paul's saying, none of that. You know, it's, it's Christ who, who gave the fruit. And at one point, Paul writes to them and says, who made you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So as we think about our skills and our talents and our abilities, things for which uh, we are uh, good at, things that we do that, that people may give us praise for, how do we avoid pride? It's keeping that focus on the idea that our abilities come from God. And there's a need for gratitude there that keeps us out of pride. Now, I want to say something in terms of, of parenting. Got a lot of parents here. You've got kids. It's, it's, you know, you want them to succeed, do well in school, maybe in sports, things like that. And maybe your kids are doing really great. How do we instill in our children the right sense of their abilities to where they do not become prideful and boastful and all of that. So here are some things I would suggest that our kids need to learn. And by the way, our parents need to learn them too. So let's teach our children these things. So maybe they're good in sports. Maybe they're really academically advanced and they're taking advanced classes and things like that. And how do they keep grounded in the midst of that? Well, we want to teach them these things. Son, daughter, your gifts and talents come from God. Secondly, you are to be grateful for what God has blessed you with what he's enabled you to do. Third, we want to teach them, in the sovereign plan of God, others have been given different gifts and abilities, and sometimes they've been given less abilities than you. And the fourth thing we want them to learn is that that less ability does not make them less important or less valuable, or less worthy of respect. We also finally want to teach our kids that God has entrusted them with their abilities 
so that they can serve others and glorify God. That's what we need our kids to learn as they begin to succeed in life, as they begin to excel in sports or academics or music or whatever it is that they, they are endeavoring to do to keep them grounded. And by the way, parents, we need to learn those things too. Because even now, with my kids grown, I still look at some parents who seemingly have more advanced kids than mine. And I go, in my mind, I go, man, why couldn't my kids have done that? And there can be envy and jealousy. And that's just, that's just pride surfacing in a different way. So we all need to learn this, that, that our gifts and our talents come from the hand of a sovereign God. He's given them to us to serve others and to glorify him. And it is thoughts like that that keep us grounded and away from the pride. Very practically, uh, Proverbs 27.2 says, Let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. We probably all know people that go fishing for compliments, you know, and, and things like that. And Proverbs says, no, let, don't do that. Let someone else praise you. And not being a braggart. And finally, we have the, the pride of self-righteousness. Uh, if you would, turn to Proverbs 30. This is the third way that, that pride manifests itself. This is probably the most important way. Proverbs 30, uh, verses 12 and 13 say this. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. This is the pride of self-righteousness. And I love the way the writer here says it. They're clean in their own eyes, but they're not washed. This was the, the pride of the Pharisee that Jesus talked about. The Pharisee that came into the temple and prayed out loud so everyone could hear, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men, especially not like this tax collector over here, the lowest of the low. I'm glad that I do all these righteous things, and he listed them. And then Jesus talked about the tax collector over there, who would not even lift his eyes to heaven, who bowed down and weeping said, Lord, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The pride of self-righteousness was embodied in that Pharisee, and, that, and yet you have the, the tax collector just asking for mercy and not offering a single thing of his own in exchange. God, be merciful to me. And Jesus said those all-important words, one went home justified that day. 
And it was not the proud, self-righteous Pharisee. It was the broken and humble uh, tax collector. Our churches, unfortunately, are filled with people, sometimes long-time churchgoers, who think they are clean. They are clean in their own eyes, but they have not been washed from their filth. And it's because they're bringing to God their own self-righteousness. They're, they're saying, okay, yes, Jesus, plus my works. Like, I like Jesus, but I've also got these works. So I'm going to bring you my works and just let you take care of the rest, God. And, you know, let Jesus do that. And I'll tell you, that's a self-righteousness that's very dangerous because, because God is, it, it says it multiple times in, uh, in Proverbs, it says it, uh, says it also, repeats it in the New Testament in the book of James, that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the Pharisee but gives grace to the humble tax collector. And folks, that's the gospel. The gospel comes against this pride of self-righteousness. And if you're here today, I just pray that you are not among those that you think you're clean, but you're not. If, you, if that's you, if God is speaking to you today, then come to Jesus. Put away your pride, put away your, your, your own self-righteousness and come to Christ and receive the, the righteousness that he gives. And that leads us to our third point today, just the antidote for pride. The antidote for pride is, is that sense of humility. Proverbs 18.12 says, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. There's one proverb, pride goes before destruction. When I was a kid, you know, if I got a little bit, as my mom would say, too big for my britches, she'd say, now Mark, pride, this was in King James English, right? Pride goeth before a fall. And it's not just this ironic thing like you sometimes see in the movies where somebody says, well, smooth sailing from here on out, and then something crashes or whatever. We're talking about the whole of life, that if your life is lived in a life of haughtiness and pride, especially that pride of self, self-righteousness, that it will end in destruction. But with humility comes honor. And that humility is a result of us pursuing the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. So there it is again. We've talked about the, pride of the, uh, the, the fear of the Lord multiple times throughout this book of of Proverbs. It's kind of the theme of, of what we need to pursue. 
As we've said, it's not a, a, an abject fear of God, uh, being afraid of God, but it is a reverence for God. It is a willingness to submit to his judgment, to, re, to be receptive to his wisdom, to not despise the wisdom of God and pursue sin and all of that. It's the foundational choice in the book of Proverbs. Will you humble yourself and pursue the fear of the Lord, or will you go your own way? A humble, teachable spirit. Now, I'm not going to stand here today and say, okay, here's what you got to do. Pursue humility, pursue humility, pursue humility. Go for it, work at it, pursue it hard. That's just you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. To pursue the fear of the Lord and humility and to receive wisdom is to receive Jesus, who is our wisdom. Turn to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul lays out for us what it means to pursue the wisdom that is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 21, he reads it, it reads this, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Our pursuit of wisdom is boiled down to Christ crucified. To place your trust in Christ, and I know many of you here have done that, but it's also something that we as believers continually do throughout our life. We are continually relying on Jesus Christ. We are continually coming to Jesus Christ, coming to the cross where we find acceptance and we ask him to humble us and to bring us down, to make us low so that we are not subject to the sin of pride surfacing in our life. But you have to come to Jesus. You have to understand that he accepts us in Christ, that the life of Christ, the perfect life where he fulfilled every righteous law, every law of God perfectly fulfilled in him. He died a death in our place, received in himself the punishment that was due to us, took it on himself, satisfied the wrath of God, and then to, to signify that that sacrifice was acceptable to God, God raised him from the dead. This is the gospel. This is what we come to and cling to 
Not only when we first were saved, but we continue to cling to that. And that is what gives us power to overcome the sins of our lives, the pride and the, the lack of humility and any other sin that, that we may address in the word of God. To place your trust in Christ and the finished work on the cross is the way to wisdom. I pray that you do that today. If you've never come to Christ, never come to him with an open, empty hand and received by faith the gift of his forgiveness, I hope that you do that today. We pray for that to happen. And Christian, if you're struggling with pride, I, I pray that you're aware of it. I pray that God has, has spoken you, to you today and, and you realize, yeah, I've I've been treating it like a respectable sin, but it's really heinous in your sight. I want to put some questions up on the screen. You can look at these, um, write them down, take a picture of them, discuss them among your family, among your friends. Uh, use them for meditation this week. Um, so there are three questions. Number one, do I understand that God regards my pride as sin? Have you just been letting it sit there and not really thinking about it because it's not demanding your attention? God regards it as sin. Number two, how would understanding that my strengths and abilities are given to me to serve others help me to combat feelings of superiority? If you are pride of, uh, proud of your accomplishments... And you're getting puffed up with your abilities, then realizing that those are there so you can help others really can humble you. It can help you combat those feelings of pride. And number three, how does knowing that Jesus humbled himself to death on the cross equip me with humility? No one was ever more humble than Jesus Christ who being in the very form of God did not think equality with God a thing to be grasped and held on to, but he emptied himself and humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. And now God has highly exalted him so that in his name every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Knowing all of that, knowing Jesus' extreme humility, ought to fuel your humility. So how can thinking on that help you to do that? It's that emptying of himself and giving up of himself on the cross that we celebrate each week at the communion tables. If you're a believer in Christ, I invite you today to come to the tables. And as we remind ourselves once again of the gospel of the truths of, of, of the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. How, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, take this and eat it in remembrance of me, for this is my body broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant. It's the blood of the new covenant which I shed for you Take and drink this in remembrance of me. And so, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Christ, 
These tables are for you to come. And in your mind, it's not just an action that we do. It's We have to be mindful. We have to be thinking about this. We have to be grateful and praying and thankful as we come, reminding ourselves of what Christ has done for us. So in a moment, we're going to have a... a a time of silent prayer, and then when I get up uh, to come to the table, that'll be the signal that the tables are open. Use that time to pray, to confess your sins, to think about um, what Christ has done. You have a Connect card in the, in the seat back in front of you. If you're a visitor here, if, you're, if it's your first time and you'd like to be known, we'd, we'd love to know. Uh, we're not going to spam you or anything like that. But you can fill it out with your, your information if you would like to be known. You can also, anyone can put down prayer requests and uh, just drop those in the black boxes in the back. And uh, we will, if, if, you know, a lot of people each week put out these prayer requests, we pray over them and, and pray for you as the body of Christ. You can also give in those boxes in the back. Um, and, uh, and so in a moment... Um, you know, I'll sit down. As I get up to come to the table, that's your signal. Uh, we have two stations at each table. Uh, you take the, uh, the wafer, dip it in either the wine or the juice as, as related to your conscience. And, um, and just think on Christ and remember Christ as, and what he's done. Matt will come up, uh, Matt and Anthony, um, singing melody and harmony um, to help us celebrate the gospel today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this opportunity we've had in your word. I pray, Lord, that this word will not go out and, and come back void, but will accomplish all that you have said for it to do. Lord, I pray even now that you would uh, quicken hearts and you would awaken people to the truth of, of the gospel. I pray, Lord, that your church will be encouraged and your church will will be strengthened to, to pursue holiness through the power of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. And in Christ's name we pray, amen.